Well, if you're able, I would ask you to rise as we read God's Word together from Psalm 103. Amen. This is a good one. Hear the reading of God's Word. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the steadfast love towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. As the Father shows compassion to His children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. For He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and in its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him, and His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep His covenant and remember to do His commandments. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord. O you His angels, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word, bless the Lord all His hosts, His ministers who do His will. Bless the Lord all His works in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The reading of God's Word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we do bless Your name this day, for You are a great God. Send Your Holy Spirit now to guide these words to those gathered here today. Mold us. Shape us. Make us more like Jesus. For this we pray in His strong name. Amen. You may be seated. Someone sneezes. We say what? Bless you. Have you ever wondered why we say bless you? I have, otherwise I wouldn't be standing up here saying that question, right? I, so I wonder, where in the wide world, how do we ever come to this understanding when someone sneezes of all things? Why do we say, bless you? Well, in my amateur research, I found two things that historically have been the origination point of why we say that. The first is that sometime way back when we don't know, when a person would sneeze, it was thought that a piece of their soul was exposed or sneezed out of their bodies. So people would say to that person who sneezed because they didn't want the devil to snatch their soul, they would say, bless you, as a form of protection or, or hedge around this person. Maybe, that's a bit of a stretch, I think, but it's, it's something held in that way. The one that's probably better and more widely accepted is this. The bubonic plague in the 14th century was ravaging Europe. It was an extremely fatal disease and was killing hundreds and thousands of people. And one of the symptoms of the bubonic plague was to sneeze. So logic would say that if you sneezed, you have the plague. If you sneeze and you have the plague, the plague means you die. So if you sneeze, you have the plague and you're going to die, right? That's pretty sound logic that we learn. And so they would say, bless you, because they thought you had the plague and you were soon 
to die. God bless you. But there's something about a blessing, isn't there? Even in those dire situations, there's something about a blessing that's comforting. Even when we sneeze, it's nice for someone to say to us, God bless you. Why? Because we like blessings. We like to be blessed. And so I even often conclude my emails, or perhaps you've received a note from me, I will even say, blessings. Or even at the end of a worship service, today there will be a benediction or a blessing. God's favor upon you. We like to be blessed because it means that something is good is being bestowed upon us. Blessing is commonplace in the Bible. Even to the extent that Jacob, if you remember the story back in Genesis 32, he wanted a blessing so bad, do you remember? He wanted a blessing so bad that he wrestled with the Lord all night and he wouldn't let go, even though his legs were broke or leg was broken, before the Lord blessed him. Because he wanted a blessing so bad. So what does it mean to be blessed by the Lord? Simply, it means to have God's favor given to us. The wonderful thing about the Lord is that His blessing, then, is unmerited towards us. He is gracious and kind and loving when He blesses us with His favor. He doesn't have to. He doesn't need to. He just does. One of the most well-known blessings happens again in Genesis chapter 12. If you remember God calling Abram and blessing Abram and says, you are going to be blessed with offspring, as many as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. What a blessing! A tremendous blessing. And furthermore, God says, I'm going to be faithful to you and to all those stars and to all those grains of the sands for generation after generation after generation. What an amazing blessing. And this was not of Abram's accord, was it? He didn't seek it out. The Lord was just kind. Of all the people that he could have chose to bless, God chose Abram. He chose Abram to bless and to and to to create his covenant, to establish his covenant with all of mankind, simply out of the overwhelming favor of the Lord. The stunning thing about this blessing, however, is it's exactly what he's done for us. He didn't have to call me or you into his blessing. He didn't have to call us from all the people in the world. And yet he does. And He chooses to give us unmerited favor. The favor of His love and grace and mercy. Friends, this morning we are blessed by the Lord. Let me just give you a little peek into the future. Tomorrow morning, you're going to be blessed by the Lord. Let's cast that gaze even further. The morning after that, you will be blessed by the Lord. Let's peek even further. The morning after that, you're going to be blessed. And the morning after, and the morning after, because His mercies are new every morning through eternity. For this is what the Lord does for us. And then we come to Psalm 103, don't we? And David, the psalmist here, says that we are to bless the Lord. And that should cause us to say, wait a minute. The Lord blesses me with unmerited favor and in ways that I can't even begin to imagine. And now David says, I, we, are to bless him? How is that possible? I can't give unmerited favor to the Creator of the universe. There's nothing that I can give to the Lord. What does this look like? Essentially, it means to give him back what he already has. To give him back who he is. We honor him with our praise and our worship. We bless him with placing our trust and our faith and our hope in Him and Him alone. Psalm 103 
then gives us a blueprint or a rubric, if you will, of what it means to bless the Lord or to praise His name. It clearly provides us with very reasons why we do this. Why we bless and why we praise the Lord. Or perhaps we can say it gives us a glimpse into the very personhood or the character of the Lord our God. And then once we have that image of who God is and what He's done for us, then, then we can begin to understand what it means to bless the Lord and to to praise His name. Once we have that image in our minds and once that is in who we are in our DNA and becomes who we are, then praise pours out of our pores, doesn't it? It springs into song and it moves us into into worship. It's, it's, it'd be like standing on the shores with Moses and Miriam on the shore of the Red Sea as they just saw Pharaoh's army be swallowed. And what did they do? Did they give a little golf clap? No. They burst into song. A beautiful and wonderful song of who the Lord is and, and how He has swallowed the rider and the horses into the sea. This is what the Lord has done. They were able to see Him. They saw His power. They saw His strength. They saw His glory, His might. And they worshipped and they sang, and they blessed the Lord. And so it is, when we stare face to face, just as Moses and Miriam stared face to face with who the Lord is and what He's done, then, then, then we praise. Then we bless the Lord. And this is what it means to bless the Lord. So let's look at Psalm 103 together. And just so you know, we're not going to go line by line. There's a lot in Psalm 103. I would encourage you this week to just meditate on Psalm 103 and to see its glory and its majesty and its wonder. But for this morning, we're going to, we're going to look at, at a few things, but I want us to look together through the words of this glorious song. And as you know, most of you by now, I like to, as you know me, I like to ask questions of Scripture. I like to ask questions of Scripture because I think it forces us into things and places that we normally wouldn't go. Or at least it gives us answers that we wouldn't normally think about. And so, Asking questions does provide that for us. And I want us to almost be like that three-year-old child, right? We know what that little child looks like and what he or she says. Why? Why, Mommy? Why, Daddy? Why is the sky blue? Why is the sun yellow? Why is blue blue? Why is yellow yellow? Why? 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 This is what I want us to do with Psalm 103 this morning. Why? Why? Why do we bless the Lord? And so can we in some way pretend that we're two or three years old again and just ask the simple questions of Psalm 103. Why? Why? Why do we bless the Lord? Good question. I have some answers for you. Or Psalm 103 has some answers for you. Those answers are, we bless the Lord because He heals us. We bless the Lord because He's compassionate. And we bless the Lord because He loves us. This is a psalm of David that's unlike most of his psalms. If you're familiar with David's psalms, he, he often is in some cave hiding somewhere in fear of his life. Or, you know, Saul is bearing down on him and he's asking God, where are you? Or he's confronted with some egregious sin like murder. And he is pouring out his soul before the Lord in, in fear or in humility. This psalm, however, is a bit different of how David normally writes. This psalm is just a song of glory and praise and wonder of who God is and what He's accomplished. 
Psalm 103 has David understanding afresh the joy of the Lord each and every morning. And the first section of Psalm 103, David's enjoying the healing of the Lord our God. Although David may still be in danger, he's recognizing this hope and his circumstances are accomplished in the Lord. The refrain of verse 8, if you'll look at verse 8 with me, is, is glorious. It's proclaiming the heights and the depths of the Lord and how He has traveled to meet us where we are. He has gone to the pit, even as we see in verse 4. Verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. David is saying, this is who God is. And what more is God? Verse 4 says He redeems our life from the pit. Let's just stop there for a second. I want us to imagine that. A pit. Maybe even like Joseph was thrown into a pit by his brothers. There's not too many pits in Arlington, Texas. But imagine a deep cavern, maybe a well of some kind, an empty well with some stone around it and an old wooden bucket that has a torn rope and you're trying to get down to the very bottom. And David says, I'm at the bottom of that pit. And the Lord just hasn't lowered down that bucket for me. He doesn't just peer over the edge of the pit, but the Lord enters into the pit and redeems us, buys us back from that pit. So what is that pit? We proclaimed our faith this morning about who the Lord God is in our lives. We proclaimed that the Lord Jesus lived and died and He suffered hell. That's the pit. Jesus entered into the pit of hell and redeemed us. Bought us back with His life, with His death, and with His resurrection. And this then is what David also recognizes, right? He says, Jesus went into the pit. He bought you with the price of His own life. He didn't just lower down a rope. He went into the pit for you and grabbed you out. And then what does it say at the end of verse 4 right there? Do you see? So you're in this pit, right? You are in this dark, deep pit of hell, of death and sin and misery. Jesus went to that very place to buy you back. And He rose again from the dead. And verse 4 then says what? He crowns us from the pit of death, the depths of our sin and misery. Jesus brings us and crowns us with love and mercy. Do you see the juxtaposition of the pit and a throne room? From a pit to being crowned by the Lord of the universe with His love and His mercy. And David is saying, why do we bless the Lord? Because He went into the pit and crowns me and brings me into His presence and gives me His love and His mercy. Why wouldn't we bless the Lord? Why wouldn't we praise His name? For this is what He's done for me. This is the glory of who the Lord is. We don't have any strength to bring us out of that ourselves. He does it for us. So Jesus goes to the depths of where we are to buy us back to Himself. To himself. But the interesting thing to me about these opening verses is that that's not only talking about some spiritual reality that we have. Because what I just talked about and what David just told us is very much the case. We indeed are dead in our sins and we're bought back, we're redeemed, and we have a hope of being in glory with heaven. 
But there's something more to these opening verses in Psalm 103. He's not just talking about some spiritual thing, but he's also talking about how he heals us. Not only in a spiritual way, but he heals us in our physical ways as well. David is saying to us that when Jesus heals us, he heals all of us. He heals everything about us. And so when Jesus went into the pit and died and was buried for three days, He rose from the dead, not with just some spiritual reality, but His entire physical body was raised from the dead and He walked out of the grave. Because the Lord loves this stuff called flesh and blood. And He doesn't like to see it hurting. He doesn't like to see it broken. He doesn't like to see it suffer. And he says, He satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Many of us know the hurts and the pains of getting older. The joints don't quite work the way they once to. There's just hurts and aches and pains. Our bodies get old. And what the Lord is saying here, we bless the Lord because we have the hope that all of us is redeemed. Not just our souls but that we will be renewed like that on eagle's wings that we'll be able to jump and skip like the deer yet once again or run through the fields like the children do. This is the hope of what David is saying to us. Our faith hinges on the very reality of a physical and bodily resurrection. Without it, we have nothing. Because it, we have everything. And this is what David is saying here in Psalm 103. Bless the Lord. Why? Because He heals us. He heals us from the pit of our death and misery, but He also heals us in our physical, in our emotional, all of us. This then should cause us to bless the Lord because we are all in need of healing. Desperately. Some of us physically. Some of us spiritually. Some of us emotionally. But each and every one of us desperately needs this healing. There's an expression that used to be thrown out often, time heals all wounds. We don't use that very much anymore, and I'm so glad that we don't throw that around as much as we often did before. Because it's just not true. Time may cause us to forget about some things or push it aside, but it doesn't really heal anything. As a matter of fact, if you have an open wound and you just leave it, it gets infected, it festers, and it actually gets worse. And so we have to deal with the hurts and the pains. We have to wrestle with it. And we have to understand where do we go for healing? Where do we go for help? And our wounds may be opened up in our physical bodies. They may be opened in our emotional and spiritual. But in order to begin to see why we bless the Lord, we must understand that we indeed are broken and we need healing. We are hurting people. We are damaged people. And we need the truth of Psalm 103 to pour over us. We need the truth of verse 5. It says, we are satisfied with good in order that we would be renewed. The good that renews us is the healing of the Gospel. It's the healing that already has been accomplished for us. We struggle and continue to have hurts and pains. But yet we hold on to what David sees here in in these opening verses. To his Savior, who has healed him and redeemed him from his brokenness. There's an interesting switch then that happens in the middle of Psalm 103. David's tenor almost changes entirely. It goes from 
saying who God is and what the Lord has accomplished. And, and David begins to wrestle with who he is and what the Lord has actually done for, for him. And we see that David blesses the Lord because of his compassion. And when we think of compassion, what do we think of? Perhaps we have all kinds of things we think of. Maybe we think of stories like these. This is not my story. I borrowed it. But I think it shows some compassion. Leaving a store, I returned to my car only to find that I'd locked my keys and my phone inside. A teenager riding his bike saw me kick a tire and say a few choice words. What's wrong? He asked. I explained my situation. But even if I could call my wife, I said, she can't bring me her car key since this is our only car. He handed me his cell phone. Call your wife and tell her I'm coming to get the key. That's a seven-mile round trip. Don't worry about it. An hour later, he returned with my key. I offered him some money, but he refused. He said, let's just say I needed the exercise. Then like a cowboy in the movies, he rode off into the sunset. Compassion. He didn't have to do it. He just did it. Someone who goes far out of their way to aid someone who is in a desperate situation. This is compassion. We have not locked our keys in the car, at least I hope not. We have not locked our phones in our car. Our situation actually is far more desperate and far worse than just locking our keys, our phone, in the car. In our sin, in our misery, Paul tells us in Ephesians 2 that we're dead. It's not just an unfortunate circumstance. But in our sin, our situation is that of death. We do not have the ability to make the phone call. We don't have the ability to even talk to that young man. For we can't. For in our sin and misery, we are dead. This is the shift that takes place in the middle of Psalm 103. David reflects upon his own life. He reflects upon and realizes the gravity of who he actually is and the gravity of his own situation and wrestles with, wrestles with it. Look at verse 10 with me. Verse 10 says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. David is fully recognizing the fact that he is worthy of punishment. Because he has sinned. Because he is full of iniquity and transgression. We have in our sin broken every single law that the Lord has established. And there's a paycheck coming in our direction. That paycheck is death. The wage of sin is death. There's no sugarcoating the reality of our sin and misery. There's no sugarcoating the ugliness, the messiness, the horror, and the damage that our sin does to ourselves, to our loved ones, and even the people that we don't love. There's no sugarcoating the devastation or the consequences, is there, of what our sin does to us. So therefore, there's no sugarcoating the reality of our sin. It's not something to be played with. But oh, how we like to dance that dance, don't we? How far? How far? How far can I go before something happens? How far can I go before the worst happens? We love to tiptoe 
right around that edge, don't we? Reality, however, says we've actually fallen over the edge. David's already acknowledged that he was in the pit. He stepped over that edge into death, into the pit. And so what does the Lord to do? Psalm 103 says He does not repay us according to our iniquities. He does not give the paycheck of death, but instead does something absolutely amazing. Just as a father has compassion on his child, so does our Father in Heaven have compassion on us. And I love this picture. And so as far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our sins from us. I've traveled across Texas the past couple months a lot, it seems like. And we drive in Texas a long way. It seems like you could drive in Texas for 10 hours and never get out of Texas. Texas is a long way from East Texas to West Texas. It's a long, long way. Even in a car, going 80-some miles an hour, or a little bit more if you're like me. But it's a long way. So think of Lubbock to Louisiana. You can't see the two. So far does the Lord remove our sins from us. This is compassion. And so we bless the Lord. We bless the Lord for His compassion towards us. But the three-year-old sits next to me. He sits next to me on the couch as I tell him this story about healing, about compassion. And all he can say, why? Why? Why, Dad? Why does He heal us? Why is He compassionate? Why? Good question. Growing up in Colorado, we went skiing a lot. Um, We were blessed. My dad's company had the ability to, to have condos and we got free tickets, I think. And so it was, it was great. We spent many Saturdays on the, on the mountains in Colorado skiing. It was wonderful for the most part. I also remember being a young boy riding up ski lifts to the top of the mountain and absolutely freezing. I remember being so cold, even to the point my hands were so cold that it, that it hurt and I would cry. I remember sitting next to my dad and I would be crying, Dad, my, my fingers are so cold. They hurt so bad. What, what can we do? And I remember my dad would pull off. He had these big black mittens. And he would pull them off and he would t- take my, my gloves off or my mittens off and he would take my hands, which were now red or blue even with cold, and he'd put them in between his hands and he would, he would rub them together and they would instantly be warm. And looking back... I don't know if my hands were really all that cold. (laughs) I think maybe I just wanted my dad to rub his warm hands on my hands. I can still see his face. I can see his black coat and his black hat. I can smell the cigarette in the corner of his mouth. As he rubbed his hands over mine, it was wonderful. I see now even more than I knew then that this was a small act of my dad saying to me, I love you. I can see it. I can feel it. Even now. Why does God not give us the paycheck that we earned in our sin and death and misery? 
Because he loves us. Because he is like a father who has compassion on his children. Why doesn't that treat us according to our iniquities? Because of his steadfast love. Friends, this morning I want us to understand that very reality. I want us to understand that in real time. Not when you're four or five or three, but today, this morning, right now. The Lord loves you in ways and in means that we can't even imagine. Why? Why does He love us when we have earned something other than love? Because this is who the Lord is. He is love. He is grace. He is mercy. He is kindness to the extent that He exposes Himself to the destruction of death. He sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, to take on flesh. So great is His love for us. He sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, to live a life of temptation, of hunger, of suffering, and misery. So great is His love for us. He sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, to be beaten, to be flogged, to be spit upon, to have nails pierced in His hands and His feet. So great is His love for us. On the cross, Jesus took the nails. On the cross, the only Son of God, our Savior Jesus Christ, hung between two thieves for hours in agony. Took what was rightfully my place. Why? Because of the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. New every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. This love is not like the fading love that we know and think of. The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. It means it always has been. It means it always is. It means that it always will be. This is who the Lord is. And what's even more amazing than that, we will never come to the end of knowing that kind of love. We will never know the heights or the depths or the east or the west of how much the Lord loves us. It's there where the Lord... It's, it's, it's because Jesus took this payment upon Himself and He buried it to the grave is why we know this love. It's there where the Lord cast everything of our sin and misery to the east or the west. It's thrown into the pit of the grave And because Jesus rose from the dead, we've been set free from its horror. And so as we look at the final few verses this morning, we see that it's not just us that praises the Lord. It's all of creation. The entirety of creation bursts into song. It stands to its feet and we join in the everlasting chorus of blessing to the Lord. 
Bless the Lord in all His works, in all the places of His dominion. What does it mean to bless the Lord? It means to see what He's done for us. It means to see how much He loves us. And then it means to worship. It means to praise. It means to join with all of creation to say, bless the Lord. And so we resound with these final words. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we bless Your name. We bless Your name because You love us. Lord, we admit and acknowledge that we don't always or even understand why at times. But the fact is that You do. And You gave everything so that we can know of Your love. So Lord God, wash over us this morning. And we bless Your name. We praise You and we worship You for who You are. In Jesus' strong name, Amen.